everyone. Welcome to Chronicles of Curiosity. I'm Katie, and I'm joined here by my co-host. I'm Mason. Um, I would like to start off this week by asking, what have you been curious about this week? Anything? So, yeah, so the weather has been getting nicer this week. Mm-hmm. Hot. Hot. Very, very so hot. So hot. And whenever the weather gets nicer, I always want to smoke, not a cigarette. I've never smoked a cigarette. But I want to smoke meat. Oh, yeah. I understand. Yes. And I, not just yeah. anybody's meat, my meat. Why would you say that? Um, Why would you I, do that? I had a smoker for a couple of years and I loved using it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you still have it. Yeah, I still you have it. You still have it not, at the apartment. Yeah, it's just not with me presently. But uh, yeah, smoking meat in a, like on a porch or on a deck or balcony mm-hmm. or whatever and a nice summer day, it usually takes anywhere from like five to 13. 15 hours to yeah. smoke a good whatever you want pork yeah. shoulder brisket what's your favorite rice. combination your favorite like piece of meat with what um type of wood oh okay that's a good question um my favorite is a pork shoulder yeah only because they are extremely forgiving mm-hmm. they take like seven hours if you get like a 10 pound shoulder and everybody loves it it's cra- yeah. crap pleaser nobody doesn't like pulled pork unless you don't eat meat right and um, if you don't really like it just put a whole bunch of barbecue sauce on it and it's amazing. Yep, exactly. So, what and kind of wood? The nice part about pork shoulder is that you can use like any type of wood. So if you're, if anybody listening has just gotten a smoker, um, certain woods are suggested for different types of meat and with pork, um, I would suggest cherry or apple wood because mm. they're sweeter and it just tends to go better than something super smoky like a hickory. Yeah. I like the smell of hickory, but apple wood was always my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It just has the best taste. It's yeah. mild. It's sweet. Um, and with a good rub and a good barbecue sauce, which mm. I would su- suggest for like a pork shoulder, I like a Carolina gold sauce. Yeah. Rather. Trader Joe's has a really good Carolina gold sauce. That's our favorite. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to recommend, especially with pulled pork. It's just yes. so good. Yeah. It's it, so good. It's just the right combination. Yeah. So especially that, with the spice blend that you prefer to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just make my own. It's like brown sugar, cumin, um, paprika, just a couple other things, got a little bit of garlic powder. You're giving away all your best secrets here. Oh, I got it from like tasty.com. It's not like I'm cooking up my, (laughs) it's not like I'm cooking up my own recipe. It's not original. Maybe someday. I also got these as a gift one time. I got these really good um, packets of seasoning from Tennessee. Yeah. And those were fantastic. I don't, they list the ingredients, but you can never really recreate a recipe based on the ingredients. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really good. Really good. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So thinking about smoking. Yep, I miss having having the smoker around here. Is there anything you've been curious about this week? I have. I have been thinking a lot about like local food and drink favorites to places. Like currently, I have a cheer wine um, cherry soda that I'm drinking while we're recording here, and that is um, a local started out local in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, is a is a pretty southern local favorite to my knowledge i don't live in the south so i don't know but based on the times that i've visited and up here upstate new york we've got like uh buffalo wings we've got chicken speedies we've got all sorts of little stuff like that so i just that's something that's so interesting to me like there is stuff out there that is a, a huge staple in people's like food and drink experience and we ain't never heard of it i would do a uh road trip of america um, just based on local, regional I specialties. I love that idea. And so many people have already done it on like Food Guy Wars Fieri, or whatever. Probably. But it's not, we're not, it's not for TV. It's, it's not for, for entertainment. Us, it's it for is me. for snacking. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. That's yeah. I, I'm fascinated with that too, um, especially because so many cities have really well known foods. Like yeah. Philadelphia, you have the cheesesteak, of course. Yeah. Um, Boston, you have beans, but yeah, main lobster, main lobster rolls. Yeah. Um, but Put- poutine. Putin. Up in yeah, we were in Canada last weekend. Yeah, and that's why we had a the little Salem tour guide episode because I didn't plan ahead um, <laughs> and we were out of town. And we uh, we knew there was going to be poutine up there. Yeah, but man, every place I think every restaurant that we went to, even IKEA, yes, had IKEA had poutine, poutine. on the menu. We yeah. tried it; mm-hmm, it was okay. Not that great. Surprisingly, it's... our favorite was McDonald's. My favorite. Didn't you have one that you liked better? Yeah, uh, Harvey's or Harvey's A's. Har- I think it's. Uh, Harv A. Harvey is it? Uh, it's Canadian fast food chain. Going yeah. super off topic here, like but burgers and stuff. yeah, they got like burgers. It's like kind of like good. an A and W. They have poutine and they have loaded options, and it was so it was fantastic. That was my favorite. My favorite was McDonald's, which is not a sentence I thought I would say yeah. about poutine at McDonald's. Hey, you know if but they do it, it right, slapped. they do it right. I mean, McDonald's. We established this last weekend. And McDonald's fries are always good anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you throw some gravy and some cheese curds on there. Yeah, some seasoning. It's not. It, it is. They so, would have to really try hard so to mess good. up. So good because the the fries and the gravy are really hot, so it melts the cheese curd. You get a bite that's French fry gravy and cheese curd. Amazing, amazing, incredible, and outstanding. This is not related to the food, um, but I just gotta say, McDonald's in Canada miles better than yes. There was the food was great. The people were nice. There were four people ahead of us in the drive through, and we got in and out of there in. I'm not kidding. Two minutes. Yeah. When was the last time you can say that about yeah. a McDonald's? They here? also had the snack wrap, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you folks out here remember the McDonald's snack wrap. It was a tortilla wrap with some shredded lettuce, some shredded cheese, and like a chicken select or chicken tender, and you could get one with honey mustard or you could get one with ranch. I liked the one with ranch because honey mustard is gross. No. Anyway, you wrap it up and you eat it like a, like a little chicken burrito wrap sandwich thing. And they were incredible. They were so freaking good. But for some reason, McDonald's USA got rid of it. We don't know why, but the people have been begging for them to come back for years. Canada, sweet, beautiful Justin Trudeau's Canada, has the snack wrap. We got so many. They were so freaking good. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. And did they get rid of them in 2020 here I've in the not, US? No, I think it was, it was earlier than that. I think that, it was right? earlier than that. Yeah, because yeah. I remember getting them when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then... I kind of forgot they existed, and then recently I have been reminded of them, and I can't stop thinking about it. So I guess that's one of our dinner options for next week is making our own. Sure, yeah, we've tried that before, and it just doesn't crispy quite chicken work snack out. wrap. This is a really deep cut for. I don't eat at McDonald's often. I eat at McDonald's a couple times a year, but we're not here but, for McDonald's slander either. No, no, no. If I you love eat McDonald's. McDonald's yeah, you do you. Boo. That's fine. And I I'm, love that. I'm only here to talk good things about McDonald's today. Um, but this is a really deep cut, but does it, do you remember the McSnack wrap? I think is what it was called. Or, Mc- no, sorry. McWrap. It wasn't McSnack wrap because that was that just snack, snack wrap. It's its own thing. The yeah. McWrap. Yep. They was had, different from the snack wrap? Yes. They were huge. They were like probably no joke, four, five or six times the size of That's a snack wrap. stupid large. Um, and they had a couple different flavors. They had, uh, I want to say they had just a ranch, like a crispy ranch, like the snack wrap, but giant. And then they had a sweet Asian snack wrap, which was really good. They had like crispy Thai noodles and and one eye in it. Um, Yeah, really good. And there was one other flavor too, but let me know if anybody remembers those Hmm. because I miss those and nobody talks about them. Everybody talks about the snack wrap. I don't remember the McWrap. They had, they came in like this cardboard sleeve and 
once you ate down like halfway, you could like it was perforated. Oh, like a hot pocket. Peel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly like a hot pocket. Yeah, okay. Um, and beyond those, there was also the Big Mac wrap. Uh, no, hear me out. It was a beef patty that was shaped like a McDonald's hash brown, like an oval. Hamburguesa? Yeah. And uh, it was it was wrapped up and it came with everything, all the fixings that's on a Big Mac and the Big Mac sauce. It was really good. Don't knock it till you try it. Because Big Macs, sometimes they can be too much food. They're too big. The yeah, sandwiches. they make me sick. But the snack wrap, Big Mac wrap snack, is, um, <laughs> is the perfect size. You can eat like six of them and then you don't feel bad about not eating... Uh, one singular Big Mac. Hmm. I would try it. Yeah. I don't, the picture in my head is really disgusting, but I will give it a chance you prob- if given the opportunity. I was going to say, you probably won't try it because yeah. they doubt they're going to bring it back. But if it were up to me, they would, but I don't make, I understand. The, I don't shoot, make the calls at no, we McDonald's don't. We don't. corporate. We don't have any connections there, unfortunately. No. Unfortunately. Anyway, shall we get into some content? Sure. And I just got to say, I don't really know. I know the name of this episode. But I don't know any of the details. Yes, I have kept this fully under wraps from Mason just because I find it more um, entertaining when he doesn't tell me much about his episodes and I just find out like in person on the podcast. Otherwise, I have to like feign uh, reactions and then it just sounds like she doesn't know what's happening. What? He killed her? No way. That's crazy. It feels so rehearsed. It's so uncomfortable. All right. So today we are going to be talking about the Bennington Triangle. Anything? No, I've Brand heard new? nothing okay. about the Bennington. This is, is it, can you tell me seriously, is it anything like the Bermuda Triangle? Sorta. Sorta? Because I don't know anything about that either. You're no, in I know for a, a real journey that, here. So the Bennington Triangle is an area in southwestern Vermont. It covers a good portion of the Green Mountain National Forest. We've Specific been there. we have? Yeah, we've driven through it. Shit, I didn't know that. <laughs> you weren't even looking for a triangle. I was. Well, no, because it's not <laughs> visibly drawn out on the map. Um, but it's specifically Glastonbury Mountain is like the main part of it. But it goes out uh, bigger than that. Glastonbury Mountain holds a significant place in Native American culture. It is regarded as, quote, cursed. Okay. And is used exclusively for burial purposes. Um, the local community is well acquainted with this legend, along with accounts of an enigmatic creature like the hairy, quote, wild men okay. uh, dwelling within the forested areas. The belief in the curse stemmed from the convergence or meeting of all four winds at that particular location, which is documented in Native American folklore. The tales also mention an enchanted stone capable of devouring anything that dares tread upon it. Oh, yeah. I gotta say, I love Native American folklore, mm-hmm. and I want to learn so much more about it. Yeah. So anytime yeah. you bring up something like that, I'm always locked in. Locked in, Because yeah. I, yeah, I want to, we don't know, we don't hear enough about it. Yeah, I agree. And actually, sidebar, the uh, campground that we stayed at when we went away to Canada last weekend was on, like, Native American land, like, owned, owned by the Native Americans, hadn't been colonized, and it was beautiful. It was one of the best campgrounds that we have stayed at. Oh, yeah. Our site was so beautiful. Everything was clean. Everything was well kept. The staff took such good care of us. They were so nice. Yeah, they were all very, very nice. And you expect that out of Canada, but you don't, you know. You just don't know. You're never sure. That was our first journey into Canada. I got to say, too, Canadians, I know there are some of you listening 
Be, we love you. We love you. And also being, um, having your stereotype be that you're nice, good people. Mm-hmm. You got it easy. You um, do. Coming from an American. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just think everyone thinks that we're dumb and mean. Mm-hmm. So I try to be nice. <laughs> and I think I'm kind of smart. So <laughs> anyway, um, so let's get into things here. So we're going to start with uh, Mitty Rivers. So on the weekend of November 12th, 1945, Mitty Rivers and his son-in-law, Joe Lauzon, were on a weekend hunting trip near Long Trail Road and Vermont Route 9. Um, now, there is some debate about whether or not he was on a hunting trip with like a group of friends or just his son-in-law or if it was his son-in-law and a group of friends. Of that, um, there is an official confirmation because it was 1945, so they didn't like super document this stuff. Either way, I feel like it it's explainable. Yeah, I mean. yeah. Um, so the morning of the 12th, 74-year-old Mitty and his son-in-law were walking together when they reached a fork in their path. Now, they were on this hunting trip, so they're just walking along looking for whatever they were hunting for. The two would separate here and go different ways, with Mitty telling Joe he would, quote, only be going a short distance, end quote, before he planned to join Joe and the others in their group back at the camp for lunch. Now, lunchtime came and went, and then by 3 p.m., Mitty had not shown back up at the campsite. So his group was starting to get a little bit concerned, um, so they would begin a search before reaching out to authorities after their suit search was fruitless. Um, there was an extensive search between them and the authorities, but the only discovery made was a single rifle cartridge found in a stream. It was speculated that maybe Mitty leaned over to like look at something or look into the stream and the cartridge fell out of his pocket into the water, but we don't know. Hmm. He was never found. Ever? That's it. Was his remains ever found? Nothing. So he just went, he totally disappeared into Oof. thin air. Gonzo. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Those are, those are fascinating for obvious reasons, but yeah. I have nothing to extrapolate on because he was never found. So yeah. your imagination can run wild. Yes. Next, Paula Jean Weldon. Paula Jean Weldon was born on October 19th, 1928 in Stamford, Connecticut. She was the firstborn daughter of William Archibald Weldon and his wife, Jean Douglas. Paula's father, William, worked at the Revere Copper and Brass Company, where he designed many familiar household utensils, stylish cocktail shakers, and the like. Uh, Paula was a graduate of Stanford High School in the class of 1945. Following her high school education, Paula would attend the Bennington College in North Bennington, Vermont, in 1946, where she studied art, specifically like watercolor and charcoal sketching. She really seemed to enjoy art and drawing, um, which I can relate to. I'm not very good at it, but I do enjoy it. Hey, there's a big difference between being good at your hobby and liking your hobby. And as long as you like it, do it. Right. She also worked at the campus dining hall as a waitress to earn some money while at school. Uh, Paula was also quite active and enjoyed cycling, hiking, swimming, and square dancing, Hmm. which is fun. Vermont, that's a little bit interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like kind of everyone liked to dance around that time still, you know? Yeah. We took a square dancing class. Yeah, for a school play. Yeah, we were in a high school play together. And uh, yeah, I I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it was really pretty fun. Well, on the evening of December 1st, 1946, Paula finished her shift at the dining hall, changed into some walking clothes and a red jacket. She told her roommate, Elizabeth Parker, that she was headed out for a walk. And she had checked her way to Vermont's Long Trail, which is a 270-mile walking trail that spans through Vermont into Canada's border. This was just a normal standard, like, walking place. It's, um, 
just like a wicked, obviously a wicked long path that goes through the woods and everything. Lots of people would just go and walk um, just to kind of explore the area or just go out on a nice walk on a, on a cool evening. Now, being that it was December in Vermont, it was pretty cold. She was dressed for maybe evening weather, early evening, but she was not dressed for anything colder than that, which would become a problem when she disappears. Mm -hmm. So Paula crossed paths with a group of hikers on the trail around 4 p.m. who she approached and asked a few questions about the long trail. We don't know what those questions were, but she asked a few questions. Then she continued on her way. That was the very last confirmed sighting of Paula Jean Walden. And another one, she, another she one also in the just Bennington completely, Triangle. and Poof. She, she was only, she wasn't going to be hiking the full length no, of the trail. No, she, was she was just, just going to be hiking, a, walk hiking work. a section of it. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, I don't, yeah, my brain, I don't really know what to do with those because yeah. they obviously were not fat. I mean, they weren't discovered because you would hear, you know, you'd hear about it. Like right. even if it was years later, there would still be something that right. would be able to be surfaced. Right. Paula was reported missing the next day when she never showed up for her scheduled classes. So a search on the entire trail began, but no sign of Paula was ever recovered. Now, some of the locals speculated that Paula had used the trail as an out or a way to allow her to start a new life. Maybe she'd fallen and hit her head and wandered off the trail with amnesia. Some newspapers reported that she was seen buying bus tickets a few states away or that she was seen with an older, abusive man at a diner. But none of these claims were ever proven or confirmed. Hmm. Nothing. We got nothing. Do you think people come up with these these theories because they... I think it's because they want some... They want some closure. Yeah, they want some closure. They want answers. They want something resolved. Yeah. Because I, like, even with books, I don't enjoy an unfinished ending. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like that one yeah. Stephen King book that you convinced me to read and... That it was kind of like a non-ending. It was kind of like up to your interpretation. Or it, was, it was very unsatisfying and I can't, I don't do well with that. Was that book Elevation? Yeah. That was maybe the only Stephen King book I've ever read that was open-ended. Well, damn. I thought you yeah. were telling me that some of his worst some were not. Uh, okay. Maybe I did say that, but I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain right now thinking mm -hmm. about all of the, his books and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm missing one that that ended kind of open-ended, but I can't think of any off the top okay. of my head. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll give him a chance. So next up is James Tedford. Tedford is a great last name. It is. December 1st, 1949, three years to the day of Paula Jean Weldon's disappearance. James Tedford, who was a veteran and a resident of the Bennington Soldiers Home, was in the town of St. Albans visiting relatives. It was right nearby. Um, he was accompanied to a local bus station by a friend or someone that was with him, um, which was his last confirmed sighting. Just at that bus station. Witnesses claim James got on the bus and was still aboard when the bus got to the last stop before arriving in Bennington, Vermont. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, James vanished. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So this isn't even uh, like a forest thing because... He was in Bennington, but no, he wasn't in the woods. He, wow, that's so he crazy. He was on a bus. He was on a freaking bus. Yeah. He left his belongings behind in the luggage rack and there was an open um, like bus timetable left on his seat, like the booklet that has... Yeah. Yeah. And this is only three years mm -hmm. after. To the day. Wow. Exactly. This is crazy. Yep. How have I never heard of this? This is like I know. a couple hours from us. Yeah. 
Tony Jinks, author of the book Disappearing Object Phenomenon and Investigation, states that, quote, the popular conception is that he vanished into thin air while on the bus. But like many missing person stories, there is a gap between when he was last seen and when he was reported missing a week or so later. Regarding Tedford's disappearance, there's enough evidence to suggest he didn't, quote, dematerialize, even though no trace of him was ever found, end quote. So what year was this again? 1949. It, I mean, just speaking from facts, it was a lot easier to disappear at that time, mm-hmm. but it's still a Not lot literally. harder than you would. Yeah. It's still a lot harder than you would think. Yeah. Like if you want to go off the radar. Yeah. Up next is Paul Jepson. On October 12th, 1950, eight year old Paul Jepson was riding in a truck with his mother. She left Paul alone for about an hour while she was feeding some pigs. And upon her return, Paul was nowhere to be found. Search parties were formed to look for him, but nothing was ever found. According to one story, he was tracked to a local highway highway by bloodhounds, which is ironically the same location that Paula Jean Weldon allegedly disappeared from four years earlier. Also ironically connected to Paula Jean's disappearance, Paul Jepson was also last seen wearing a red jacket. That's kind of just a coincidence, but I thought it was interesting. Coincidence, yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's like just a big sinkhole, big You know, I think they might see pit. that. I think they might notice that. Yeah, they might notice that. Yeah, yeah they but might, I like where you're going. They might see that. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought of that. Yeah. Well, you know what? You did well. Thank you. Um, Frida Langer is up next. On October 28th, 1950, only 16 days after the disappearance of young Paul Jepson, Frida Langer, who was 53 years old, and her cousin Herbert Elsner were camping with their families near the Somerset Reservoir when they left to go for a hike together. While walking, Frida slipped and fell into a stream. She told Herbert that if he was willing to wait, she would just run back to the campsite to change out of her wet clothes and then return to catch up with him on the trail. So Herbert waited for Frida, but after she failed to return for some time, he returned to the campsite and found that Frida had never returned to the campsite at all, and nobody had seen her since she and Herbert had set out on their hike. God, that's so weird. Isn't that weird? That's like, so she's weird. Like, she just gone. So tell me, at this point in your research, so putting aside everything that you know now that you've looked into the rest of this, um, where was your mind at? Are you thinking, like, uh, abductor? Are you thinking, like, serial killer or serial abductor? Or I don't know. Are you thinking something... Because, I mean, these these types of situations are so strange. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's just... Uh, most people want to think that there's a rational explanation for it, and there very well could be. Right. But what is it? I know. Like, part of me wants to be like, well, maybe they just got lost in the woods. and, But, I mean, the guy on the bus? Yeah. I mean, the little boy, like, he could have gotten out and explored. He could have been abducted. Like, any of these weird things could have happened. But they're in the middle of fucking woods. And also, you're not, I mean, you're not giving a ton of backstory on these people. Probably because they don't exist. There isn't any, yeah. they seem like just normal, normal folks. Normal folks. Normal folk. They're they're not, like, uh, they're not drifters. They're not, they're not homeless people. They're not, you know, sex workers. They're just just people. I mean, not that. I mean, not that. Okay, that came out all wrong. All those people are still just people. <laughs> they're normal. They're average citizens. Yeah, they are yeah. in the middle of what you would generally consider average. They're farmers. They're accountants. Whatever. Yeah, they're college students. There's nothing um, notable about them necessarily. Right. Over the next couple of weeks, five searches were conducted to try and locate Frida. Some of which included aircraft and helicopters, and up to three hundred people aiding in the search. But no trace of Frida was found during the search. 
although seven months later, on May 12, 1951, Frida Langer's body was found three and a half miles away from the campsite in the eastern branch of the Deerfield River. Now, they had searched this area previously, but not thoroughly. They could not find any cause of death due to the level of decomposition after spending nearly seven months out in the open woods. That's so crazy. I know. Because, okay, there's two possibilities. Either she was there the whole time and they completely missed her, which seems almost impossible. Yeah. Or, I mean, three and a half miles from a campsite. Yeah. That's where they started looking. Right. Um, or somebody returned her body there. Oof. But why? And why wouldn't they have done that with the other individuals? And again, why would you do that? Right. Like they say criminals return to the crime scene but this seven months later with a decomposed totally decomposed body i mean it's possible that it was returned quite some time earlier and then it just wasn't found until then Mm. because i wasn't able to find out who found it or how it was found i'm not sure if they were still searching seven months later actively yeah which does does leave some some unopened or um what am i looking for some open-ended questions yeah Now, let's get into some of the theories behind this anomaly that seemed to become a hub for missing persons. Some speculate that there were paranormal forces behind this, based on the Native American history of it being a burial ground and and the place where the four winds meet. Um, There's some alleged UFOs, or even Bigfoot, you know, the hairy men that we talked about. And others presume the missing persons were the work of a serial killer in the area. But due to a lack of evidence of this, as well as such variety in the ages and genders of the victims, this seemingly rules out a serial killer option because there's no clear pattern. And typically serial killers tend to have some kind of pattern, whether they think they do or do not. A lot of times there is a pattern. Like I I would say 99.9%. I would argue that the pattern is snatching people out of places when they're not expecting it. True, but but that's, that's that's more the... The routine or like the, the, the system, setting, the setting, yeah. not so much the person like there, there is usually some type of pattern, whether subconscious or regular old conscious that makes them choose this person because all of these other people, except for the little boy in the thing, in the truck had other people around them. Right. Right. Like Frida was with her cousin, cousin, James Tedford was on the bus, so he was alone. Uh, Paula Jean interacted with multiple other people on the trail and Mitty Rivers was hunting with other people. So like what was, what about these people would have made them selected unless it was something other. That was going to be my next question is since there's no real definitive answer as to what was going on there or what is still happening there. Uh What do you really think is happening there? Like if, if I, if, if you had to pick something that you think above the other options, this is pro- this is what I feel deep down is the most likely. What do you think it is? Well, we'll actually get into more of that in the next episode. No, yeah. a cliffhanger. You yep. said you don't like open endings. I don't, but I like a cliffhanger because I want to keep you folks interested. Can I tell you what I think? Yes, you can. I think it's big, fat-headed aliens. Why they gotta have fat heads? Because they're smarter than us. Well, it's not about the brain size. No, it I don't have shit to do with it. I don't think it's you I, goon. I, I don't think it's aliens because typically there's other stuff that goes on with mm-hmm. it. Like if it was abductions, right? They're typically returned often. Yes. Yeah, or they they're found with like radiation burns yeah. or poisoning. But I'm or, sure there's been abductions that we don't we don't know they happened because it's just a missing person. True. True. So, so they just yeah they just zap them up and. 
and on they go. And yeah. also completely unrelated, but I always wondered why aliens picked certain spots over others. I've heard theories like nuclear plants or where there's nuclear arms tend to have more uh, UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I've heard that. Um, and I've also heard uh, like different paranormal forces when they come together, like a Skinwalker Ranch. Oof, don't talk about that. Oh, I'm going to cover that at some no. point. No. Um, that one scares me a lot. That sort of thing can attract UFO activity. Yeah. But uh, I got to say, uh, Green Mountain State Forest, uh, not the most act- predictable location. predictably active location for this type of thing to be yeah. happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. those type of woods feel like the backyard that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not strange yeah. enough to be where aliens would show up or where this strange paranormal phenomena would happen, which I'm sure I is how the people... Because there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure that's how the people of Vermont feel, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Well, that is all I have for you folks today. A couple of my sources um, for this episode were allthatsinteresting.com uncovered.com and various news articles from the years that these cases occurred like like newspaper articles and stuff like that which is pretty cool um i also used some books by joseph a citro who actually is the author that uh coined the name the bennington triangle he wrote many books on um like folklore and curious happenings in vermont and in new england so i did use some of his content and i will continue to use some of his content for next week okay well thank you yeah this is super interesting i'm glad i didn't i i'm glad i didn't learn anything about it beforehand because i was tempted to look it up when you told me what the title of this episode was going to be but i'm excited i'm going to continue not looking stuff up so i can be surprised again next week okay yeah i appreciate that even though i you did ask me to look for a book for you but i won't that's just looking for the book i won't read any of the book yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, I asked him to stop at the local library for me. Look at us using the library again. Yeah, I talked about the library, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, love the library. But thank you all for listening. Yes, um, be- my allergies are kicking in. We got to get out of here. Before we go, um, please consider following us on Instagram at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast. Uh, if you have suggestions for a topic you'd like us to cover, please send us a message. Um, you can shoot us a message on Instagram or you can email us at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast at gmail.com yes nice and simple yes and i also want to say don't ever feel like you can't message us or send an email like oh they already know about that story or oh they don't want to hear from me or something no we do we really truly do so always positive and negative yes so if you have an idea send that bitch we want to see we want to hear from you um we want your input on what you want to see throughout the podcast coming up so um or if you just want to say hey you can also say hey we try to check at least the instagram on the regular i know you check the email probably more oh yeah i check it every day but yeah thank you all for listening um we will be back with some more curious content next week hope you all have a great week great day great evening morning whatever part of the day you're at listening have a good one And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.